Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Clavel, and thank you for joining us for this segment of the Clavel Report. In this segment, we'll discuss Justice McConnell, the lasting impact. The last several years during the past Trump administration, Mitch McConnell took it upon himself to reshape the federal courts in the United States. In his words, the federal bench, this is my top priority. Now, you ask yourself, why are the courts so important? Well, in my belief and opinion, I believe that the judicial branch of our government is the most important branch of our government because it has the ultimate power of checks and balances. I've discussed this before in a previous segment where we looked at an overview and the impact of the U.S. judiciary. Mitch McConnell himself just did not start to think about stacking and changing the court. But this was a process that we'll find out in this segment that started years ago. Ensuring that for generations to come in the United States, the federal bench would be more conservative and be include more justices that are what we call strict constructionists. The importance of the federal bench shows that, one, it can invalidate any statute, any regulation, any policy on the federal level. Also, the justices that serve have lifetime appointments. Many times we look at the federal court as being the U.S. Supreme Court, but we find that there are almost 100 district federal courts and, of course, 11 um, circuits and, of course, the 12th Circuit being the D.C. Circuit and then also the Special Court Circuit, which gives us 13 federal circuits. Most cases don't make it to the U.S. Supreme Court. So ensuring that the lower courts have justices appointed to the seats that are in their 40s, in their early 50s, will ensure that their decisions that are made impact our country for a minimum of 25 years, even 40 or longer. That's what I call generational change. But this is just not a one-off. This is a trend that we'll see that the conservative party and others that concentrate on the courts will continue all through the years, unless it is challenged. But before I go any further, I want us to take a look at this Vox Media clip, which shows us exactly how the court was made under Mitch McConnell during the Trump administration. Let's take a moment. Let's take a look at this. Of the three branches of government as the president, Congress, and the Supreme Court. But it's down here in the lower federal courts where President Trump is building his longest lasting legacy. You know, when I got in, we had over a hundred federal judges that weren't appointed. It was like a big, beautiful present to all of us. Federal courts hear lawsuits involving the Constitution or laws made by Congress. Say a city pays a female employee less than her male counterpart. That violates the Equal Pay Act, a federal law. So that case would start here, where all federal lawsuits start, in a district court. 
there's at least one in every state. For example, California is home to 61 judges who serve on the state's four district courts. If the case is appealed, it moves up to the aptly named Court of Appeals. It's made up of 13 circuit courts, and they each hear cases from different parts of the country. So a case that started in California will move up to the Ninth Circuit Court because they hear cases from the western part of the U.S. If it's appealed again, it'll go to the Supreme Court. But they only hear less than 100 cases a year. The circuit courts, they hear 50,000. For most federal cases, these judges give the final precedent-setting ruling. They're kind of a big deal. And every single judge here is nominated by the president and serves for life. Now here's a chart showing how many circuit court judges a president confirmed by what time in their presidency. There's Ronald Reagan's, and this is George H.W. Bush's, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush. All pretty consistent, right? Now here's Barack Obama's. Look how it totally flatlines in his last two years. That's because all federal judges are nominated by the president, but then have to be confirmed by a vote in the Senate. And after the 2014 election, Republicans gained control in the Senate, and Mitch McConnell stopped holding votes on nearly all of Obama's court picks. From the Supreme Court, all the way down to the district courts. So when Trump took office, not only did he have a ton of vacant seats to fill, he had a Republican-controlled Senate to help fill them, quickly. In fact, Trump has appointed more circuit court judges in the first half of his first term than any other modern president. But his judges are different. This is where all the judges nominated by each president fall on a scale between liberal and conservative, determined by their past political donations. And here's the median score for those judges. You can see that appointees on both sides have moved further to the left and right of their party's medians. But Trump's median pick is more conservative than Obama's was liberal, and more conservative than his Republican predecessors. And if you look at the ideological distribution of judges appointed by previous presidents, you can see tails at either end. Both Republican and Democratic presidents appointed some judges that leaned the other way. But Trump? Not really. Traditionally, presidents need to work with the Senate. If a judgeship opens up in, say, Texas, the nominee would need the approval of the Texas senators. No approval, no vote. It makes presidents compromise with the opposite party and prevents them from stacking the courts with superpartisan judges. That's why these past presidents had to have a spectrum of judges. But when Trump nominated two men for seats on the Ninth Circuit, the court that keeps overturning Trump's executive orders, the two Democratic senators from California opposed both of them, calling them far outside the judicial mainstream. One because of some controversial writings in college, and the other because of his prior work as a defense lawyer, including for oil companies where he argued climate change isn't real. Normally, this would mean they would never get a vote, let alone a hearing. But Republicans aren't honoring the century-old informal rule, and judges are being confirmed without the support of either home state senator, including those two on the Ninth. Trump has now appointed seven new judges to the Ninth Circuit, one because Obama's nominee wasn't allowed a vote, and four without the approval of home state senators. He's expected to appoint at least two more judges before his first term is over. This is what the circuit courts looked like when Trump became president at the beginning of 2017. And here's how the courts look halfway through 2019. It's expected that every president gets to have an impact on the federal courts. That's normal. 
But Trump only got to fill these seats because of McConnell's refusal to hold a vote on Obama's picks. None of these Trump picks had the support of both senators from their home state. And as a group, Trump's picks are more conservative than his Republican predecessors. In 2018, Mitch McConnell laid out his goals for the federal judiciary in a radio interview. Appointing uh, and confirming these strict constructionists to the courts who are in their late 40s or early 50s, and we're making a generational change in our country that will be uh, repeated over and over and over down through the years. And his plan is working. Since 2018, he stated that this, we're creating a generational change on the federal judiciary, reshaping the federal judiciary. Many people may wonder why did Mitch McConnell put up with the insults of former President Donald Trump? Why did he put up with the chaos that was created? This was the reason why to reshape the courts, the federal courts in the United States. Elections have consequences. And the power of the Senate was on full display with Mitch McConnell and these courts. If you are a student of politics, a student of policy, a student of the process, you have to look at this and honor how masterful the plan was. But at the same time, if you're a student of politics, process, and policy, you have to also say to yourself how unfair a lot of these processes were. But elections have consequences. When you're in power, you take the stand and take the opportunity to wield it as you will. And what Mitch McConnell did, he wielded his power to reshape the federal the federal judiciary. As a matter of fact, it pointed out, uh, it was highlighted that Merrick Garland, the U.S. Supreme Court nominee by President Obama, which I believe he should have nominated a black female, African-American female. I think it would have had more, less of a pushback and could have really held uh, the Mitch McConnell Senate uh, feet to the fire to appoint that uh, that justice to the U.S. Supreme Court or to hold the hearing for it. But neither here nor there, Merrick Garland was not even given a, a hearing. They wouldn't take meetings with him. That's tradition. But he went against tradition. He went against it. He went against it for a reason. He went against it to reshape the federal judiciary. In politics, you've heard the saying, all's fair in love, war, and politics. Well, you may not like it, but it happened. And we see by the outline from the Vox Media uh, clip that the federal judiciary was reshaped on the district level, on the appellate level, and on the Supreme Court level in one term of President, former President Trump. And let's take a look at a little closer at how these federal judges uh, were appointed and their impact that they're going to have. Now, according to P the Pew Research Center, uh, one of their uh, fact sheets uh, regarding uh, Trump's 
appointees. It's entitled How Trump Compares with Other Recent Presidents in Appointing Federal Judges. It was published January 13th of 2021. When we start to take a look at the impact that federal judges that Trump had on the federal judiciary by Mitch McConnell's plan, more judges were appointed by two-term presidents than President Trump, former President Trump. According to the Pew Research Center fact sheet, Obama appointed three, well, nominated and were appointed 320 to the federal courts, George W. Bush, 322, and Bill Clinton, 367. But he appointed more judges to, federal, to the federal court in one single term than any other president, 226 in one year. I mean, in, in one term, that's 226. That's a lot of judges. Now, when you break it down, he appointed 174, nominated and appointed 174 to district court and 54 to the appeals court. And we'll talk about the Ninth Circuit in just a moment. And three to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the key to the appellate courts, which were the primary focus of the Mitch McConnell plan, is because most cases die or the final word is heard in the appeals court. And they had to reshape the Ninth Court, the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit, which encompasses California and, and the Western states, most Western states, those was that was the circuit that was knocking down a lot of the conservative uh, presidents, more specifically former President Trump, orders and executive orders and the like. Well, you can't get rid of the Ninth Circuit, but you can reshape it. And that's exactly what they did. They helped to reshape the Ninth Circuit, which now used to be the most liberal. Now it is trending to be conservative. Now, in like manner, if you take a look at the judge, appellate court judges appointed by Barack Obama in, in two terms, eight years, he appointed 55. George W. Bush, 62. Bill Clinton, 66. And in one term, George H.W. Bush, 42. Again, look at how impactful that one term under President, former President Trump was through the Mitch McConnell plan. Again, general racial change. And let's take a look at the influence on the highest court. He appointed three Supreme Court justices, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. All of these, now they're the most by any president since Ronald Reagan, who appointed four, but that was four in two terms. And of course, the most by any one-term president is Herbert Hoover. So all these judge, these Supreme Court justices are all 55 years or younger. They're 55 or younger. What does that mean? According to the Pew Research Analysis in 2017, it found that who were appointed to the court when they were 55 years or younger ended up serving an average of two decades. That's 20 years. That's an average. Some serve less, some serve more. That means these justices will sit on the bench between the age of 
70 and 80 years old, if we're looking at averages. 75 years is that average date, that target date. They will be able to rule on 20 cycles of U.S. Supreme Court cases, which will have an indelible, lasting impact for decades after they leave the bench. So you're talking about their influence on those cases will be at a very minimum of a half a century. That's 50 years. Elections have consequences. When we start to take a look at the breakdown of the ethnicity and gender of these judges, our justices to the federal judiciary, that women only accounted for 24% of the Trump's judicial appointees. That's a bit higher than its Republican counterparts that served both George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, but below Barack Obama's 42% and Bill Clinton's 28%, according to Pew Research Center. So that, that tells us that the court itself is more male appointed under former President Donald Trump. But not just that, but also let's take a look at the ethnicity of these justices and federal judges. He appointed a smaller share of non-white federal judges than recent presidents. About one in six, according to this research study, of judges appointed by Trump, which is 16% were either Black, Hispanic, Asian, or other race or ethnicity. So you throw all everybody else into one pot, it's about 16%. That means 84% of all the justices and federal judges that are appointed by former President Trump under Mitch McConnell's plan, which he gave the list and said, we want these individuals to be nominated. 84% are white males. 84% are white males who are going to serve on these federal benches a minimum of two decades and their impact on the court will be about a half a century, 50 years or more. If you're listening to these numbers, listening to these statistics, you're now seeing the Mitch McConnell plan and how the impact of this particular court can be for decades to come, generations to come. As he said, generational change. Elections have consequences. Those that voted and wanted this conservative court, you got it. Those that did not, this is something that you have to deal with. And you have to ask yourself, what could we have done? And we're going to take a look at that in just a moment, but not now. There's, I want to bring out something else. More than a quarter of currently active federal judges, more than 25%, over 25% of active federal judges are now Trump appointees in four years, former President Donald Trump under the Mitch McConnell plan now have the stamp that I was appointed by former President Donald Trump. That is huge. That is huge. So where do we go from here? 
What are some of the examples of how the court itself can now start to reshape policy? Because keep in mind that the court itself is a policymaking branch of the government as well. Now, it wasn't set up to be that way. But after the powers of judicial review were established in Marbury versus Madison, a landmark case of the U.S. Supreme Court, which gave them the power to review any federal act, any federal regulation that comes through the government to validate or invalidate it or to change it whichever way. That makes them policymaking. So that's where you get these politicized uh, labels as being activist judges or justices and strict constructionists and the like. And we're going to talk about, we're going to look at those two labels in just a moment. But let's take, for, for example, the landmark civil rights legislation. Now, could that landmark civil, civil rights legislation of the 1960s and 70s, could it be turned and say we don't need it anymore? Many people will say on one side, say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, this is not of our concern. But let's take a look at the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Holder, <laughs> uh, Shelby County versus Holder. Shelby County versus Holder which was the, a case that came and rose to the level of the U.S. Supreme Court during the last uh, term of President Obama's two, four, four, uh, two terms as president, basically started to invalidate the preclearance provision of the Voting Rights Act. Now, we've talked about this in another clip of the report. Go back and take a look at it where we talked about uh, voting and the impact of voting. But many did not believe that preclearance would be taken away. But the moment that conservatives got an opportunity to eliminate it, they did. Not just on the federal level, but also on the state level. Case in point, states that are traditionally discriminated against African-Americans with the right to vote during the time of Jim Crow and segregation, through poll taxes, grandfather clauses, guess how many uh, beans, jelly beans in a in a jelly bean jar, guess how many bubbles in a bar of soap, poll taxes and the like, and outright intimidation and killing of African-Americans just trying to vote. The 1965 Voting Rights Act said anytime that you change your laws, your policies, or even redraw your lines of districts, you got to send it to the U.S. Department of Justice Civil Rights Division for to get it reviewed to make sure that it's not going against federal law and uh, uh, taking away or abridging the rights of African-Americans to vote, which traditionally those states had done before it is approved. Well, that that was taken away because it said, well, it was originally created to ensure that African-Americans were registering at a high rate and may vote at a high rate or, or significant rate as their white counterparts, which is true. But what they failed to realize is that that wasn't a provision that everybody agreed upon. That was a provision that had to be in place to protect because the heartbeat of the people in those states had not changed. But the moment they got a chance to take it away, Shelby versus Holder, they did. And from that moment, when the judges invalidated the preclearance part of the Voting Rights Act, states took action almost overnight, where they started now to implement more restrictive voting laws in their states, specifically denying African-Americans and others 
that do not vote Republican or conservative the right to vote. Now, when you say they can still vote, the answer is yes. But the laws became restrictive and made it extremely hard, causing undue burden. As a matter of fact, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is why the appellate court is so important, they took a look at the restrictive provisions of North Carolina's law in 2017. And the Supreme Court refused on the Chief Justice Roberts to hear the case because the Fourth Circuit said that the provisions that restricted, that took away certain polling places, closed down certain hours and the like for counties that were majority African-American and areas that are African-American to vote, they said it was with surgical precision to deny or discriminate against African-American voters, period. That was the reason for the law. Under former uh, Governor Pat McCrory, he tried to appeal it. The Supreme Court said no, the law was invalidated. That's the power of the checks and balances of the appellate court, which is why the Mitch McConnell plan was so important to help reshape the federal judiciary so that those types of laws would now pass and turn back the clock on so many laws and public policies that help to create the atmosphere and give the ability for all Americans, more specifically African-Americans, to participate fully, freely, without hurt, harm, or danger in the American process of achieving the American dream, voting, buying homes, employment, investing, and the like. The list goes on and on. We'll talk about a lot of this in future series when we take a look at reparations and what that really means and the restrictive laws and public policies under critical race theory that denied African-Americans and other ethnic minorities and women the ability to just to participate, participate equitably and fairly in a system. Now, of course, the results, if you put two people in a race, the results are going to be different. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. But can you get in the race? And that's the key, having the ability to get in the race. So when I talk about elections have consequences, the question becomes, what could the other side, the Democrats, could have done to stop this? Again, if you agree with the Mitch McConnell plan, you win. You're winning now. But if you disagree with it, you're losing now. What could have been done? So let's take a look at this clip from Vice Media, which shows us what could have been done, but why the Democrats could not stop it even during a pandemic. Senator McConnell and Republicans in the Senate have made no secret of the fact that we consider this a, a priority. That priority is confirming conservative judicial nominees, and a lot of them, to federal courts. President Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are fast approaching a new milestone with 193 federal judges confirmed in the last three years. Trump's appointed more judges than any president at this point in a term since the courts were expanded over 40 years ago. You know about the two Supreme Court justices that Trump appointed to the bench. The rest have been quietly filling lower court seats. Trump and McConnell have confirmed 138 seats in district courts and 51 seats in the higher appellate courts. It's important for your listeners to know that most litigation never makes it to the Supreme Court. He's right. The Supreme Court receives over 7,000 petitions a year. They take about 80. 
If it rejects a case, the ruling by the lower court stands. Thousands of decisions affecting the daily lives of Americans are being made in courts that are rapidly filling with judges of Donald Trump's choosing. Judicial nominations are so important that McConnell called back the Senate in a pandemic for a judiciary hearing. And Republicans are fine with that. So I've got no problem with us addressing judicial nominees. That's part of our job. We can do more than one thing at a time. We could walk and chew gum. But Democrats were not pleased. We should not be here. There are a hundred issues involving testing and protecting America that we should be considering. Instead, we're taking Senator McConnell's favorite federal judge in Kentucky to give him a promotion today. Hearing will come to order. Judge Justin Walker was appointed to the bench on a district court in Kentucky last year. He's clerked for former Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy and his successor, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Now Walker is Trump's pick for promotion to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, a stepping stone to the Supreme Court. This makes Democrats nervous. I think your average Democratic voter you know, may be clear about the risk to Roe versus Wade and access to reproductive health care, but may not see the ways in which um, this conservative move, both on the Supreme Court and now throughout the federal judiciary, um, is the beginnings of what would be a dramatic rollback um, in the ways in which the federal government has been able to act uh, in the best interest of the American people. Republicans know the impact conservative judges can have on voting rights, immigration and abortion and its appeal to the conservative vote. We're gonna process as many conservative judges as we can. We're in charge of that committee and we're gonna use it wisely. There are less than six months until the elections and McConnell is trying to secure this legacy. We will leave no vacancy behind. We'll keep confirming these young men and women. One in four circuit court judges around the country is now a Trump appointee with an average age of 48. And these are all lifetime appointments. For now, Senate Democrats. For now, Senate Democrats are powerless. Now, of course, that was during the pandemic. We've come out of the pandemic. The Trump administration is over. But the McConnell plan to reshape the federal judiciary during the Trump administration is complete. One in four appellate court justices are Trump appointees. Three Supreme Court justices, one third are Trump appointees. Overall, 226 is the number of active judges appointed by former President Donald Trump under the Mitch McConnell uh, plan. That brings it to 28% of all active judges are now Trump appointees. And the Democrats were powerless because of process. Mitch McConnell understood the process and he was willing to go against tradition, not break the law, but go against tradition in holding meetings and hearings uh, for, and then also the nuclear option of needing 60 votes. All you needed was one, 50 plus one. Now, the importance of the 60 vote is that more justices would be not too liberal, not too conservative, not too far right or far left, but they'll be closer to the middle. Because ultimately, when you look at and balance the scales of justice, 
you want an even balance. You don't want it. You don't want to weigh too far to one side or too far to the other. 60 votes gives you that because you have to come to the table to negotiate and compromise on some issues. But now, because of the legislative branch and the executive branch, some believe that the court has been even more politicized and radicalized from one side to the other. So where do we go from here? Elections have consequences. As we noted, these appointees to all federal courts, district court, which is the trial level, appellate court, intermediate appellate court in the circuits and the U.S. Supreme Court, all of these are lifetime appointments. They can only be removed if they die in office, they resign or they are, they retire or they're impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. Same standard as the president. Other than that, these judges will sit on the bench for over two decades on average, some even more, but their decisions will be lasting and last over half a century, over 50 years. This is where I believe advocacy and protest missed the mark. You have to be able to advocate. You have to be able to protest, but you also have to be able to understand a plan and plan for the long term and not react for the short term. But that doesn't mean that advocacy is not useful. It is. It doesn't mean that protest is not useful. It is. But if you add that long-term planning to that, it becomes a powerful force that is unstoppable. I think that's the next step in organizing, the next step in ensuring that the people in a democracy have a stronger voice and a more lasting voice when adding the long-term planning to what we believe our nation should be. That's going to come with a change in focus. That's going to come a change in priorities. That's going to come with a change in understanding that change doesn't come instantly, but lasting change comes over time. It's going to come with some patience as well. So Justice McConnell, the lasting impact, he took his top priority, understood the process, overstepped tradition, and stayed the course. So long after he leaves the Senate, long after Mitch McConnell leaves this earth, his stamp would be on the federal judiciary during this former Trump's administration. What would be the decisions that are decided? What would be the effect? What would be the intent behind those decisions? Only time will tell. But we do know from history and understanding when the courts have been turned or stacked in the opposite direction, we do know what will take place. So we have to remain vigilant, informed, and ensure that we are active in the process on a continuous basis. That's the only way, as a people, as a nation, we can truly understand how our country and each branch of government can work for all people. Thank you again for joining us for this segment of the Cleveland Report, where we examine Justice McConnell, the lasting impact on the federal judiciary. Like us and share us on our social media, The Clever Report on Facebook, and comment. Let us know 
your thoughts. Until next time, we'll see you again. Thank you.